0: If you got your Bibles with you, if you want to follow along, you can turn to Luke chapter 16, and we will be in verses 19 through 31. We'll be finishing up uh, chapter 16 today, and also finishing up the uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, and be in verses 19 through uh, 31. Uh, several weeks ago, um, I was outside painting a fence that I had built, and uh, it's, a, it's a long fence, and so I, I took my iPhone with me, and um, normally when I'm doing something like that, I'll you know either plug in some music or I've got an app on my phone that has sermons on it from John Piper, who's one of my favorite preachers, and so I'm scrolling through before I start painting, I'm scrolling through, and I find a sermon, and it's called Battling the Unbelief of Lust. And I thought, well, that's, a, that's an interesting title, The Unbelief of Lust. And so I, I, I plugged that in, and I started listening and started painting. And he starts preaching the sermon, and of course, he starts with Scripture as he always does, and he, he talks about what the Scripture says about lust. He talks about what lust is, what, what lust isn't. And then about a quarter of the way through the, 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 uh, the message, he gets to an objection that he often hears, and I think we often hear, whenever you talk to anyone or preach or teach about sexual morality or sexual immorality, and the objection you hear is this what's the big deal? Right? Isn't a lot of see, there's people out there that think sexual sin or sexual immorality is a sin with a little s. In other words, it, when you think about it, what they'll say is shouldn't we be focusing on bigger things? I mean, should, aren't there bigger issues out there like nuclear war and, and racism and poverty and social justice? The, the, these issues that affect millions of people. Why do, you, why do you guys focus on things that just affect us individually? I mean, after all, looking at pornography on the Internet or having sex outside of marriage or homosexuality, after all, if it's consensual... If everybody's agreeing to do it, what's the big deal? Nobody's getting hurt. We're not hurting millions of people like nuclear war could. We're not, we're not hurting millions of people like racism is and things like that. Why do you Christians make such a big deal about it? Just focus on the big things. And that was the objection that he brought up. And you see, what you need to understand is when you hear talk like that, what you need to understand is that's the kind of talk that comes out of somebody's mouth when they have forsaken or left a supreme regard for God. It, not, it becomes not about what God thinks is important. It becomes what you think is important. But you see, that's not the way God sees lust at all. He doesn't see it as a little thing. He sees it as a very big thing. In fact, if you want to know what God thinks about your personal sexual life, you can read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 6-8. through Paul writes to the church and he says, See that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, you're disregarding God. God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. The Bible basically says if you disregard what God says about sexual morality, if you disregard what God says about lust, it says God is an avenger. Now, I don't want God to be avenging me. I mean, you see what I'm saying? That's, that's not good. In fact, that's not good at all for God to be an avenger. Now, I don't, I, I don't want you to miss what this verse is saying. See, what that verse is teaching us is that the consequences of lust are far worse than the consequences of a nuclear war. You see, all a nuclear war can do is kill millions of bodies. That's all it can do. It can kill millions of bodies. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, they have no more that they can do. But I'll tell you who to fear, he says. I'll warn you. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast you into hell. You see, the fact is, in other words, what what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is that God's wrath, God's vengeance is way, way worse than the consequences of a thousand nuclear wars because all a nuclear war can do is just kill a bunch of bodies. But God can send you to hell. And one of the things, one of the sins that will send you to hell for eternity is lust. Therefore, sins like lust are way more complicated, way more important for us to talk about than even nuclear war. Everybody with me? I mean, it's a big deal. Now, you may say, what in the world are you bringing this up for? Isn't the parable of the rich man and Lazarus about something completely different? It is. But see, here's the thing. Today, we're going to talk about another sin, and that's the love of money. And a lot of people may think, well, the love of money, what's the big deal? It's just, I mean, maybe I love money, but I'm not hurting anybody. Maybe I don't give as much as I should. Maybe I don't use my money the way I should, but, but it's not a big deal. There's a lot bigger... No. Now, see, the Bible says it's a very big deal because how you use your money, the Bible tells us, will send you to hell. The use of your money, what it says about you, will send you to hell. It's a big deal. So what we're talking about today is not a little thing, it's a very, very big thing. Now, in order to drive that point home, I want to sum up real quickly the two parables in this chapter. And I hope you got your Bibles open there to Luke chapter 16. There are two parables in this, uh, in this, in this particular chapter. Now, in verses 1 through 13, we covered this several weeks ago, um, Jesus tells a parable... And he he tells the parable to make the point that we should use our money shrewdly. We should use our money cleverly. But not the way the world counts cleverness, right? In the kingdom of God, to use your money cleverly means you use your money to um, advance the kingdom, right? You use it towards the kingdom, to grow the kingdom. That's what it means to use your money cleverly. But it also taught us in that parable that if you don't do that, if you don't use your money in that way, you will not receive the true riches of heaven. Let's review Luke 16, 11 through 12. This is Jesus. If you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, in other words, if you have not been faithful with the money that God gives you in this earth, on this world, then who in the world is going to give you true riches? That's, he's saying that's ridiculous to even think that. And by the way, true riches is in heaven. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, by the way, which is God's, then who in the world is ever going to give you that which is your own? See, what Jesus teaches us in this, in this first parable is the way you use your money has a direct effect on eternity. See, it turns out it really teaches an uncomfortable truth. How you use your money in this life is a big deal. And using it the wrong way will send you to hell for eternity. Now, that may make some of you uncomfortable, but I'm going to back it up here at the end of this lesson. Now, Luke tells the Pharisees... Or, I mean, Jesus is telling this, this parable, and then Luke tells us, I believe in verse 14, that the Pharisees hear this parable. They hear that teaching, and they, they ridicule him. They absolutely ridicule him. And Luke says the reason they ridicule him is because they love money. See, what what Luke is implying is it's the love of money that literally keeps them from hearing the truth. Does everybody see that? they they got the God of the universe standing in front of them. He's speaking absolute truth, and they will not hear it. Why? Because they love money. You think money, the love of money is a big deal? You think the love of money could keep them out of heaven and send them to hell? See, it's, it's literally stopping up their ears. They can't hear the gospel. They can't hear the truth because they love money. Then Jesus goes on later in the chapter, starting in verse 19, to tell a second parable with, with basically the exact same point. If you use your money to fatten your cushion. If you use your money, it's all about me, what I want to do, instead of investing in others and investing in the kingdom, you will go to a place of torment. Let's, let's run through these verses very quickly in what we, uh, what we covered last week. Verses 19 through 21. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man, man named Lazarus covered with sores and he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. With just a very few words, Jesus paints a very vivid picture of two men on opposite sides of the money spectrum. One of those men is Bill Gates Rich. He is so rich, he wears purple every day. Every day. He eats sumptuously every day. T-bone steaks every day. While people outside in the street are starving. One man is, is as wealthy as you can get. He's got his, he's got his as good as it can get. The other guy is as bad as it can get. He's alone, he's poor, he's hungry, he's, he's disabled. I mean, it's, a, it's as bad as it can get. Now, remember, as we said last week, it was very common in the ancient world for people to believe that if you were like Lazarus, if you were sick and lonely and, and poor, that you did something to deserve that. They, they, if you had any kind of trouble or tribulation in life, they, they just thought, man, you must have done something. Remember we talked about Job's friends in Job 4. We talked about the pagans in, in Acts 28 who basically said when, when the snake caught a hold of Paul's hand, they said, well, justice ain't going to let him live. He must be a murderer. We talked about Jesus' disciples in John 9 when they walked and said, who sinned, that man or, or his family that he was born blind? Everybody remember that? See, that was very common back then. They, everybody, you it, you're suffering, you did something wrong. Job's friend spent 20 chapters trying to convince him, just tell us what you did wrong. We know you did something. Everybody knows if you're going through trouble that, that you've sinned. At the same time, they see the opposite is true. They see wealth and as, a, as a sign of God's love and blessing. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? Jesus says to his disciples, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And look at the words. His disciples were greatly astonished. Not just a little bit astonished, greatly astonished. Why? Because in their mindset, uh, sickness and poverty meant sin. wealth meant God's love, God's blessing. And Jesus says, if, you, if, you're, if you're wealthy, it's, hard, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is to get into heaven. They're looking at that and saying, "Are you, what? If somebody who's blessed by God and loved by God can't get into heaven, who can be saved? See, they, just, they couldn't believe those words were coming out of his mouth because it was just accepted that if you had that much wealth, then God loved you. God was blessing you. See, that was obvious to them. Now, the Pharisees were big believers in both of these ideas, that poor people are cursed and rich people are blessed. You see, that allowed them to equate loving money with loving God. By the way, that's why people love the prosperity gospel today, because it allows them to say, oh, I love God, but it also allows them to get away with loving money. See, that's, it, it, nothing's changed, folks. It, it never does. Human ma- nature, I said it last week, doesn't change. The devil don't have to change because it ain't, what if it ain't broke? He don't have to fix it. The same things that worked thousands of years ago still work today. Okay? So they 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 believed in both of these things. So in this parable, Jesus paints him a picture. One guy is living his best life now. The other guy is living his absolute worst life now. Now he's setting them up because in their mind. There's no doubt in their mind who's going, which of those guys is going to heaven and which one's going to hell. There's, there's no doubt in their mind. They know the rich man's going to hell. After all, he's blessed by God. And there's no doubt Lazarus is going to hell because after all, look at him. He wouldn't be experiencing all this if, if he hadn't sinned terribly against God. But Jesus, of course, turns that thinking on its head. Verses 22 to 23... The poor man died and is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died and is buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. You see, the fact is, eventually, no matter what happens in their life, the inevitable, inescapable, unavoidable, unavoidable thing happens to them that's going to happen to me, and it's going to happen to you. They die. You see, the fact is, we all know it's coming, right? We all know it's going to happen to every single one of us. But it continually astounds me how few people spend any kind of amount of time thinking about eternity. We spend all of our time thinking about this life, when we've literally got millions of years ahead of us that we hardly spend any time thinking about at all. And I remind you again, as I often say, human nature doesn't change. In Luke 17, Jesus said, Just as it was in the day of Noah, so it'll be in the Son of Man comes back. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage until the day that Noah went inside the ark, and the rains came and they were all destroyed. Jesus said it'll be the same way. Nothing changes. The day he comes back, they'll be completely ignorant of eternity. They'll, be, they'll just they, they ignore it until the day he comes back. Luke verse 24, we move on in our parable. And the rich man is in hell, and he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now the rich man is a Jew. That's why he says, Father Abraham. But you see, his Jewishness has not saved him. The fact that Abraham is is the father of his race has not done him any good. There's a, there's a wonderful scripture in Luke chapter 3, early in the, in the, in the book, and it's, it's by John the Baptist. And you remember this story, right? John is, is out at the Jordan River and he's baptized and he looks up and all these Jews are coming to him. All these people are coming to him. And of course, John the Baptist, who has very little tact whatsoever, calls out to them, "...you brood of vipers." Who warned you to flee from the wrath of come, to come? Now, watch what he says. Therefore, bear, if you really are repentant, then bear fruits worthy of repentance, or bear fruits that accompany repentance. And don't even begin to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our father. Because I tell you, God can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks right here. That's nothing for him. And he goes on and he says this. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit. By the way, what is good fruit? It's acts that are worthy of repentance, right? Because that's just what he talked about. If you don't do that, if you don't bear acts that are worthy of repentance, the tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's hell. So the, now watch this. The people ask him, What are those acts? Tell us what to do. And watch what he says. If you have two tunics, then give to him who has none. And if you have food, give give to those who have none. Do the same. You see what he says? What is an act worthy of repentance? You give your money. You give your clothes. You give your time. Everybody with me? That's the act. Someone who has truly repented, it changes the way they use their stuff. It changes their priorities. Those are acts worthy of repentance. And that's going to be important as we move along. In fact, think about the rich man in this parable. He's sitting there and he thinks, man, I'm secure as a child of Abraham. But the fact is, he bore none of the fruit that accompanied a true repentant heart. Didn't give his money away. Didn't give his food away. Didn't give his his clothes away. And now the fact is the axe has fallen and he's in, etern- he's in hell for eternity. Now, I was re- thinking about this this week, and we talk a lot about the Pharisees, we talk a lot about this rich man, and I was thinking, what would be the counterpart in the modern church? What would be the counterpart to this rich man who thinks, I'm okay? See, I think the counterpart would be people who profess to be Christians. And they say, you know what? 20 years ago, I walked down an aisle, at a church service, and I prayed a prayer of faith. I'm secure. I'm going to heaven. I'm justified by faith alone. Don't you dare tell me how I use my money could send me to hell. Don't you dare tell me that the way I use my body could send me to hell. Don't dare tell me that. I'm I'm saved by faith alone. Don't dare tell me that the way I I treat my marriage has any effect on whether I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm a child of God. I prayed that prayer. The preacher told me I was saved. Everybody with me? See, that's what's called cheap grace, folks. The idea that you can somehow walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, and repent, yet you bear no fruit worthy of that repentance. that's, that's, That's just like the rich man who says, I'm okay, but yet he never gave his money. There was nothing in him that showed that there was true repentance. And there are people filling our churches today who would say they're Christians, but yet there's nothing in their life, there's no acts in their life that show they've truly repented. And one of the first things you can look at in your life and my life is my money. There's something about your money that matters. It's a big deal. How you use it shows Has there something happened in your heart? Because let me tell you, folks, my Bible teaches that the faith that justifies also purifies. The faith that justifies, it purifies my motives. It purifies my heart. Verse 25. So he calls out to Abraham, and Abraham says, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Listen, there's a song by a guy by the name of Shylin. He's got a teaching. It's called He's got a, a, a song. It's called False Teachers. And, and I love this line from the first time I heard the song, it just popped out. He says, if you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Man, first time I heard that, it just jumped. If you're living your best life now. You're headed for hell. Let me tell you what he means by that. The tr- this is a truth. If you are on this earth right now, you are e- e- this is either as good as it will ever get for you, or this is as bad as it will ever get for you. Do you understand that? You see, if during your time on earth, you pursue money, you pursue things, you fatten your own cushion, then I'm telling you, earth will be the extent of your heaven, and your eternity will be hell. But if in this life right now, you treasure Jesus Christ no matter what, no matter what comes, He's your priority, He's your treasure, then I'm telling you, this earth is as bad as it will ever be for you, and eternity will be your heaven. You're doing, you're living one or the other. And Shailene says, if you're living your best life now, I'm, he can say, I'm telling you, you're headed for heaven. If this is as good as it ever gets for you, you're on your way to hell. Because it's going to get a lot worse. Now, as I said last week, folks, listen, that does not mean that all rich people are going to heaven and all poor people are going to hell. What matters is what's in our heart, and how we use our money exposes what's in our heart that's what that's what John says: Bear fruit, bear fruit that's worthy of repentance do acts that show that something has changed and one of the things that that automatically is just a barometer of our heart is how we use our money. In Luke 19 verse 1 through 9. By the way, this is about we're in Luke 16. This is by the way, if you go back and read all of Luke, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Even as he tells this parable He's on his way to Jerusalem. He'll be there probably in a week or two. He's about a week or two away from making his triumphal entry. He is right at the end of his right at the end of his ministry. And if you move ahead and you get to Luke 19, you come to verses 1 through 9, it says this. He entered Jericho and he's passing through. And we all know this story from Sunday school if you were grew up in church. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And we all know the story. Zacchaeus is about four foot tall and he can't see over anybody so he climbs up a tree. And Jesus is is walking by and he stops and he looks up in the tree and he calls out his name. He says, Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And of course the people went crazy because Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's as as filthy a a scum as there can ever be in this earth according to them. And Jesus goes to his house. It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And later at the house, it says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, now watch what happens. The half of my goods goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, if I've cheated anybody of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he gave his money away? No. No. What He says salvation has come to this house because his heart has changed. And the proof of that was that he brought forth acts worthy of repentance. He's not going to heaven because he gave his money away. Not Just like, just like you're not going to, to, to heaven because you didn't give it away. But both of those are a sign they're acts worthy of true repentance or not repentance, as the case may be. You see, in the end, folks, the stakes are incredibly high. And that is an eternal destiny that cannot change. Verse 26: Abraham says to the rich man, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here to there. You see, folks, the idea of, of hell being temporary, a purgatory, you don't find that anywhere, anywhere in the Bible. Death is utterly final. The bed that you make in this life, you will sleep in forever. This is a big deal. I mean, we're talking about eternity here. Now, I want to cover, we've covered all that. Now I want to cover the final four verses, which we didn't get to last week. Look at verses 27 and 28. So, again, this is the rich man. He's just been told look, we can't come to you, you can't come to us, you're in hell forever. The way you've got it is never going to change. And so the rich man responds in verses 27. And the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I've got five brothers. Let, Let Lazarus warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now you may want to ask a question. Why is the rich man worried about his brothers? Well, I can tell you why, because he knows them. You see, that he knows their lifestyle. He's, he's very familiar with his brothers. See, evidently, they love money just like he does. See, he knows they're, they're pursuing the same lifestyle that he did. They're, they're using their money to, to pad their own cushions. They're using their money to fulfill their own desires. So he knows that they're living just like him, and if they don't change what happened to him going to hell is going to happen to them that they're doomed if they don't make a change. So he says, Abraham, send Lazarus to them. Let him him warn them. Now listen to Abraham's reply, verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, what Abraham says is they've already got the Bible. They've got the Scripture. Everything they need to keep them out of hell is right there in front of them. They've got ample information right there in the the Scriptures. Now, you may say, well, now, wait a minute. They didn't even have the New Testament. They didn't have the Gospel. What was in the Old Testament that would keep them out of hell? Listen, they knew from Genesis, did they not, that the wages of sin is death? They knew from Jonah that God requires repentance, yes or no? They knew from the Psalms that, that God is gracious to forgive, they knew from Habakkuk that the just shall live by faith. Does any of that stuff sound familiar? Does any of that stuff sound New Testament? In fact, let me give you one scripture. Isaiah 55, 6-7. This is Old Testament. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, I I ask you again, does that sound like the New Testament? Sounds exactly like the New Testament. You see, all the components for salvation are in the Old Testament. They're they're right there in front of them. The difference is, we've, we've seen the reality of the Lamb of God. You remember Hebrews says that all of those things in the Old Testament were shadows of the reality to come. All those sacrifices, the temple, those were a picture of what was coming. But they had everything they needed to be saved. The only difference that we've got, we've got all the same stuff, except we, now we know that Jesus is the true Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But they have everything, they had everything that we have. You see, everything you need to know about God, about who He is, about how He forgives and pardons sin, is sitting right there in the Old Testament. Abraham says you don't need anything else. But you see, the rich man knows his brothers very, very well. See, he knows they don't really listen to Scripture. Yeah, they go to church every once in a while. They might even break out their Bible and read it every once in a while. But see, when I look at their lifestyle, I don't see Scripture affecting their life at all. It doesn't affect their marriage. It doesn't affect how they use their body. It doesn't affect how they, how they, they act around women. It doesn't affect how they use their money. It doesn't affect any of that. Yeah, they might be in church. They might even be board members. But if you look at their life, there's no fruit there that's worthy of repentance. Repentance. Their thinking is all shaped by the world, not by Scripture, not by God. He knows that. So, you see, he doesn't believe the Scriptures are enough to change him because, by the way, they didn't change him. So he makes a final request in verse 30 of Abraham. Going to give Abraham some advice, tell him what, what to do. Verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham. In other words, that ain't enough. That's not going to work. But if someone would just go to them from the dead, then that would do it. If there was just see, if there was just some kind of major miracle, it, it, some some kind of undeniable miracle, somebody actually rose out from the grave, rose from the dead, something that was very startling. That if that would happen, Father Abraham, it would awaken them from their slumber, and they would turn from a life of selfishness to a life of serving God. That would work, Father Abraham. I know it would. And then comes Abraham's reply, which I think is absolutely startling and has not only a lesson for, for that rich man, but has a lesson for all of us. Abraham says this, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, if they will not hear Scripture then Abraham says they will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. Now that's a, that statement right there, because see, we all fall into that trap. Boy, if we could just have miracles, if we could just have a church where people were being healed and blind eyes open and, and lame limbs made well and, and people rise, if we could do that, everybody would rush here. Everybody would believe. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't, Abraham says. If they won't believe this Bible right here. If they won't believe this when it's preached, if they won't believe it when it's taught, then they won't believe even if you raise somebody from the dead right here on this stage, they still wouldn't believe. Oh, by the way, they'd come back, wouldn't they? They'd come back to see the next thing. But as soon as those things start happening, they would just crowds would disappear because there's been no true repentance. They were like the people that came off the mountain that wanted to be fed by Jesus. And he starts teaching them about what the real food is, what the real bread is, and they all left him. And he turns to his disciples and says, are you also going to leave? See, they just wanted to see the miracles. They just wanted to be fed. It didn't change them. And Abraham backs that up. If they won't believe the Word of God, they won't believe even if a miracle happened right in front of them. I mean, that to me, that's incredible. That is an absolutely incredible lesson. And, and let me, don't forget, by the way, today's parable is about, there's a lot of things that keep people away from God. There's a lot of things that, that keep people from coming to a belief in Jesus Christ. But I can tell you, today's parable is about one thing, and that's the love of money. See, that's what these, this chapter is about. That's what this parable about. If if a somebody is so in love with money that they are deaf to the words of Scripture, then Abraham says they'll be deaf. If somebody rises, if somebody rising from the dead will not shake them loose from their love of money. It Won't happen. It's impossible for that to happen. Now, Jesus is telling a parable, and he, and so what he's talking about is in theory, right? He's just saying, if that happened, they still wouldn't believe. By the way, what he's talking about him in theory comes to reality in just a few short weeks. Because Jesus himself is going to rise from the dead, and it makes not a whit of difference to those Pharisees. Yes or no? It makes no di- The man rises from the dead, and it makes no difference to him whatsoever. In fact, what Abraham says in this parable is, is proven true year after year, decade after decade, century after century. You see Jesus Christ rose from the dead, which is the most attested to miracle in history. We've got eyewitness testimony. We know he appeared to over 500 people after he rose from the dead. And century after century, millions of people pour into the gates of hell because they won't believe it. They won't they 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 it doesn't do anything for them. See, it, it, that parable has just repeated itself every single day as, and as, the, as the years and, and, and the centuries roll by. They won't believe even though a man rose from the dead, and that man was Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. Why won't they believe? Is that me? Why won't they believe? Is that me, Seneca? All right, you're good. All right, I'll hold on to it. How about that? Here's the point of these two parables. And don't forget, these parables are about the love of money. Again, as I said, there's other things that will keep you from coming to Christ, but these parables are about the love of money. You see, that's the point of these two parables. The love of money will not allow people to hear the Word of God and be saved. There's something about the love of money in your life that will not let you go. It's got its tentacles inside of you. It holds on to you. And it will not let you hear the truth of the Word of God. That's why Jesus says in Luke 18, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's that love of money that just, it just will not let them go. It will not let them come to Christ. Now, here's the question. Why is the rich man in hell? Well, see, this parable tells us he's in hell because his love of money deafened him to hearing the Scripture. It would not allow him to come to repentance and believe. Now, I've got two takeaways from this, uh, from this parable as, as we finish up this morning. Here's the first one. What if, I, I don't, you know, we all know each other, but I don't really know you. I don't really know what's going on in your heart, just like you probably don't really know what's going on in mine. There may very well be some people here this morning that struggle with the love of money. You see, I don't ever want to come in here and, and we, can, we can teach these parables and everybody says, wow, that was a great lesson and you walk out of here and completely forget about it. See, these parables are for us. They're for us. They, they're to change us. See, Jesus has given us truth. These are written in the Word of God so that we can believe. So, what if we struggle with the love of money in our own life, what can be done? And by the way, don't think this is about being rich. Because I remind you once again, you can have a whole lot of money and not love it at all. And you can have very little money and love it like crazy. See, it's not about being rich. It's not about the amount. It's about what's in your heart. It's about, "I, I, I want this, I want that. You may not have the means to get it, but boy, you want it. And it drives you. It consumes you. If I could just have this, I'd be happy. If I could just get this, I'd be happy. It's all about getting, getting, getting. It's all about this life now. It's all about having your best life now. What, what if you struggle with that? Well, let me tell you what Abraham said. First of all, miracles and signs have no power to change that in your life. Boy, if God would just give me a sign, I could believe more. Boy, if I could just see something in church, I, no. No, that's what, that's what this parable teaches. That's got nothing to do with it. There is one thing and one thing only that, how, that has the power to defeat the love of money in your life, and that is the Word of God. That is faith in a God who supplies all my needs. That is faith in a God who has plans for my life. That, that is faith in a God who loves me no matter what. And see, Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. So if you struggle this morning with the love of money and you really want to get rid of it, there's only one thing that can do it, and that's Scripture. That's the only thing. Nothing else will do it. See, So what do you do? You say, Derek, I, you know, I, I do struggle with it. What should I do? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning what to do. Go to your Bible. Go back to the words of Scripture. Sit down. Read it meditate on it read it again meditate on it pray over it ask god the holy spirit to make it real in your life so i'm going to give you a couple this morning jesus said they've got everything you need in the old testament and of course we've got even more in the new testament i'm going to give you two scriptures this morning one from the old one from the new the one from the old is jeremiah 9 23 to 24 thus says the lord this is his words Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for it's in these things I delight. The New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 10. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content for the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. See, there's a lot of scriptures out there about money. There, there's a lot of scriptures about, about out there about putting our trust in God as opposed to putting our trust in man or putting our trust in things. If you struggle with the lump of money, go to the word. Go to the word because the word is has the power to change. See, it's only through the Word of God that you and I will turn from and forsake those broken cisterns of materialism and drink freely at the fountain of living water. That's all those things are. Stuff is just, it's broken cisterns. That water goes in, it just flows out. It, it can't, it, it, you know, it's empty, it's empty, it's empty, and you're constantly wanting more, more, more. It's only through the Word of God that we can abandon those broken jars and then turn and just drink freely from those rivers of living water. So I pray this morning that God, if you're here today and you struggle with the love of money, that God will free you from that through His, through his Word so that, by the way, you can treasure Christ for who He really is. Takeaway number two, and I, I promised I'd come back to this. I made a couple of statements earlier, and I want to clarify I said, lust will send you to hell for eternity. I said, using your money in the wrong way will send you to hell for eternity. Now, you may have said, now, wh- wait just a minute, Derek. Isn't it unbelief that sends us to hell? Well, absolutely. Sure it is. John three eighteen. we all know this scripture. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why are you condemned? because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Everyone that goes to hell goes to hell for one reason, because they did not put their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what that Scripture tells us. That's why we go to hell. Yet, what we find in the Scripture is things like lust and things like the love of money are signs of unbelief. You remember at the very beginning I told you about the Scripture, uh, John Piper says, battling the unbelief of lust. Because when you let lust, you give into it, you let it control you. What you're saying is, God doesn't know what he's talking about. I know how to deal with this. I know what I'm going to do. I enjoy this. I like this. This makes me feel good. God's way, eh, I don't believe in all of that. See, when you let the love of money rule your life, <clears throat> what you're saying is, this, this is what I want. See, it's a sign of an unrepentant heart. It's a sign of a heart that doesn't know Jesus Christ. So in the end, yes, it will send you to hell, because again, combined with that unbelief, it shows that you haven't... And by the way, I've said it a million times, I don't care what you say. Anybody can say, I know Jesus. Anybody can say, I trust Jesus. Jesus. Anybody can come down here and pray. Anybody can do that. But like John says, show that you've got true repentance by the acts in your life, by acts that are worthy, works that are worthy. And for some reason, our money becomes first and foremost where we, it shows a barometer of what's in our heart. Now listen, as I close this morning, nobody's perfect Everybody in here at one time or another struggles with, with sins like lust and struggles with sins like lust, uh, love of money. Nobody's free from those things, right? We, 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 if, uh, John says if a man says he doesn't sin, he's a liar, right? We all struggle with those things. But let me tell you something. You had better be fighting them. You had better be fighting. Do not give in to those things and just say, that's just the way I am. A few weeks ago, I was going through a time in my life. Something wasn't right. I just something wasn't right. I was, I was finding myself angry. I was finding myself frustrated. I just something wasn't right. And so I said, "Lord, I, I know something's not right. Something's not, something here going on here ain't right." And what He showed me is He pointed me to this thing right here. Because on this phone, I had Fox News, and I had all these news apps. And what I was finding was that every minute I had a little bit of time, I'd open that phone, and I'd look, and I'd read, and I'd look. Anybody else do that? And see, what I was doing is I was filling my mind with junk. Instead of going to read reading Scripture, instead of going and listening to a sermon, instead of listening to worship music, I was filling my mind with junk. Is there any wonder that I was angry and frustrated? And not at peace. See, the point is, and I, because you better be fighting those things. When the Holy Spirit reveals there's an issue in your life, fight it. You're not perfect, that's fine, but fight. Kathy picked up my phone the other day. She said, there ain't nothing on here. Because there's not, because they're gone. See, that's the point. The Pharisees and the rich man in the parable, they didn't fight love of money. In fact, they justified it by saying, oh, love of money is like loving God. They didn't fight it, and they both split hell wide open. See, guys, if you struggle with love of money, if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with those things like that, that's, it, it, to some extent, you're going to deal with those things in life, but you better be fighting them. You better be fighting them and making sure that Jesus Christ is a supreme treasure in your life. Next week, we'll turn to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, and we'll cover the parable of the persistent widow. Let's pray.